0: What's up guys, we're back here today on the back bar with our tequila guru guest, Jesse Estes. Jesse is the global brand ambassador for Ocho Tequila. Now, Jesse was literally born into the tequila trade with his dad, Thomas Estes, being such a prominent figure in bringing agave education into the main conversation. Thomas is also the co-founder of Ocho Tequila, which makes this whole operation a family business. Jesse spent time working in some of London's top bars, such as Kalu before joining Ocho as the face He's a published author with his book, Tequila Beyond the Sunrise, detailing 40 different tequila and mezcal cocktails, which you can find in the show notes. Ocho is a single-filled agave spirit and really focuses on terroir. In this show, you can listen to Jesse really deep dive into this and the rest of the production methods. Now, I do love a good tequila. Personally, I'm more into the extra Nejo stuff. But my girlfriend, on the other hand, more prefers white spirits, so she's into the more non-aged and will drink it neat or on the rocks. How do you guys like your tequila? If you leave us a comment below, maybe we'll find out. So our show is out every Monday. You can also subscribe so you can get a little notification next time there is a new episode. You can also join our community on Patreon where you'll have the chance to be part of the conversation and have access to exclusive content. As you may know, it's Marguerite Day on the 22nd of February. So that's why we have Jesse today. And next week we have another tequila guy. Uh, You can find out at the end of the show who it is. Before I leave you to enjoy the show, I have a small request. Tales of the Cocktail Spirited Awards are back, and it's your opportunity to vote for who you think has made an impact in the industry. There are a number of categories from Best International Bartender to the Best Broadcast, Podcast or Online Video Series. Now, there are a ton of great people producing content out there who deserve a pat on the back. So head over to the nominations page to have your say. That's all from me. Enjoy the show, and let's roll the intro.
1: Benjamin Franklin once said, In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom. And in water, there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar, hosted by Christopher Manning, an industry expert, author, and bartender who's been in the industry for over a decade. On The Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on The Back Bar. This is Christopher Manning
0: Jesse Estes how are you thank you for coming on the show today
2: thanks for having me Chris
0: and how are you doing over in London today
2: doing well actually it's uh, it's sunny for a change this morning so yeah doing very well thanks
0: great so we know you as the Ocho Tequila ambassador. It'd be really good if you can give us your rundown of who you are and a bit about the brand story. That'd be great.
2: Thanks, Chris. Yeah, my background is in bartending. Um, so I started off working in London, God, more than 10 years ago now. I think it's been 11 years. Worked, uh, had, had the good fortune of working in some very nice bars here, uh, probably the most famous uh, of which is Calou Calais. Um, which obviously has won a number of awards, got to work on some, some really great uh, mentors here. Uh, moved into the family business, which I'll talk more about in due course, um, the Pacifico Group. So we opened uh, back then in 2013, we opened a uh, what we called London's first agaveria, so specializing in uh, not just tequila, not just mezcal, but lesser known agave spirits, like uh, Bacanora, Racia, Soto, not technically in agave spirit, but we kind of lump it into the same family. And so that was a great project that I came on board for back in 2013 or 14, uh, somewhere around there, and uh, moved more into management and uh, operations at that point, and then started also to get involved on a part-time basis with Ocho. So I've been about, uh, I think it's been about three, three and a half years that I've been full-time with the brand. Ocho started, let's see, I think next week, February, will be 12 years that we launched the brand. Twelve years ago in the UK, we launched the brand. Congratulations. Thank you very much, yeah. In some ways, it feels like a lot longer. In some ways, it feels uh, like nothing at all. So, yeah, 12 years already. And Ocho was unique in, in a number of ways, including the fact that it's the first single field tequila. So what I mean by single field is that every batch of Ocho that we produce comes from a different single field. And all of our fields are owned by the Camarena family. So Carlos Camarena, the master distiller, and his brothers and sisters all own all of their own agaves, which is a very unique position to be in because we know the provenance of each one of those plants, uh, all those different fields, and we know that no chemical pesticides, herbicides, chemical fertilizers, nothing like that has ever been used in the field. So uh, along that same vein, Ocho is also one of the only 100% additive free tequilas in the market, um, so even if you look at our Reposado or Añejos, um, they're very, very light in color. So we don't even add any uh, spirit caramel to any of our tequilas.
0: I love watching tequila personally. I think it's fantastic. And I've had it on many of my bars. So we can delve into the production side because it's quite interesting to learn about uh, this single origin uh, ranchos, if I'm correct, the algarve fields.
2: Yes, that's what we call them in Mexico.
0: And if I'm right, there's 21 in total you look after in, in Jalisco State?
2: 21 so actually probably fairly recently that was the correct number uh, we've actually harvested we've, we're ju- just harvesting now our 24th field to date so we actually Carlos has and and his family have somewhere around 100 different fields and so 24 of those we've actually harvested for Ocho at this point. So
0: yeah let, let's dive into the production of Ocho of and what makes it so special.
2: Yeah. So again, going back to this concept of terroir, um, this this idea was really born from the wine industry. Obviously, a lot of um, your listeners are probably familiar with wine as well as uh, cocktails and spirits. Um, and this concept of terroir has really been understood in, in wine for hundreds of years, uh, much less well understood, in my opinion, in the spirits world. So we took inspiration specifically from Burgundy, where I wouldn't even call it terroir, I would call it micro terroir, especially in some parts of Burgundy, where you can literally walk, you know, a matter of meters, a few meters, and you can see the soil composition change, Um, you can really experience that terroir firsthand. So my dad, having gone to Burgundy for 19 consecutive years for the en primeur tastings, he really was fascinated by this concept of terroir. And so when he and Carlos got together fifteen years ago or whatever it was to start developing a tequila together, um, this was one of his main goals was to see if we could if they could create the first single field uh, tequila which of course turned out uh, to work quite well um, so with this idea of terroir um, we wanted to keep the production process, which is what we're talking about now, um, keep the production process consistent. So if we liken this process that we're doing to wine, it would be like having the same grower. Let's say it's, it's, he's a, the, the producer is a grower and the same person that actually produces the wine, growing the same grape varietal. So in, in the case of Burgundy, I guess we could use Chardonnay as an example. So same as exact grape varietal two different single fields and the same production process. And of course, anyone who knows wine knows that those two wines produced from those two different single fields will be different. So that's really how how this started. And really, the first few batches were really experimental um, because we didn't know what would happen. And the result is that we have this range of now soon to be 24 different single fields that are all share, you know, sharing characteristics in terms of uh, flavor profiles and aromas and, and excuse me, and things like that, but also distinctly different because of the provenance. So if we look at the production process, which stays the same every time, we cook the agaves uh, used for Ocho's production in traditional stone brick ovens that we call hornos de mamposteria, um Those are very similar ovens that would have been used uh, by Carlos's grandfather when their distillery was was founded in 1937. Uh, Laigne is the name of the distillery. And so we try to keep as close to tradition um, as possible with this, this production process the milling that we use after cooking. so we cook for 72 hours in total in the oven. We keep that oven, steam oven, at low heat. So we try and keep it below 85 degrees Celsius to not burn the sugars or uh, create inconsistent cooking within the oven. And then after the cooking process, we uh, mill. So we need to squeeze the, the aguamiel, the, the sweet juice, out of the uh, piñas, the agave hearts. And we use a roller mill, a mechanized uh, roller mill, as opposed to the tahona, which is the more Let's say traditional method of producing. Why do we use the um, the roller mill instead of the tohona? Well, quite simply because during the development of Ocho, Carlos Camarena, again the master distiller, played around with a number of different production processes and he made batches that included hundred percent tahona which is what El Tesoro is, our sister brand, also produced at La Altena. He uh, played around with a mix of roller mill and tahona, which is what Tapatio currently employs is a mix of, of the two different milling processes. And he also played around with, obviously, 100% roller mill. And uh, my dad, Tomás Estes, and Carlos, uh, both actually found that they, they experienced more complexity of flavor using only the the roller mill. So that's why we use 100% roller mill with Ocho. Uh, Fermentation takes place in 3000 liter pine, so wooden vats. We're one of four distilleries out of about 150 registered distilleries, uh, at least that I'm aware of, to still use wood. So very few distilleries use wood. Most um, employ stainless steel for this part of the process. Uh, Wood is important to us because it it harbors, you know, it has natural yeast living inside of the the pores of the wood, so that's going to help us with our fermentation. It's also a natural insulator, so we don't need to temperature control or humidity control the fermentation area. And also because, again, just going back to these kind of traditional values, this would have been very similar to the way um, tapatio the the flagship brand of the Camarina family was produced 82, 83 years ago. So fermentation for us is a largely natural fermentation. So there's a lot of natural yeast, not just from inside the 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 vats, the wooden vats, but also it's totally open fermentation. So there's natural airborne yeast coming in um, from the surrounding area. So fermentation, because of that, is quite long. So it's usually between four to five days, sometimes even longer, depending on the season and the kind of uh, temperature and, and humidity and those, those factors. So um, after fermentation, we've got what's called a mosto muerto, so a must, that's about 5% ABV, give or take. And then, of course, we have to distill. So we use a double pot distillation. Uh, first distillation is in a um, stainless pot still with uh, copper components. Those are kind of medium-sized stills, around 3,000 litres. And then the second distillation, we finish in a very small 350-litre uh, uh, fully copper pot still. So then we distill to around 55%, and for our Blanco, for example, that comes down to 40% before bottling.
0: It's definitely a family run business, uh, you mentioned your father uh, being involved. How, how did that come around, yourself and your father's love of tequila, I guess?
2: Good question. Um, for me, it's quite simple. I was, I was born into it. Um, you know, <laughs> okay. I think I was born with, with tequila in, in my veins, probably literally and figuratively. So for, for my dad, his love affair with, with tequila probably started in the, let's see, the 60s. And, uh, back at, back at that point, he was not in the industry yet. Uh, he was actually a school teacher after, after college or university in the United States, uh, he became a school teacher, uh, English teacher, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but he always kind of having grown up in East Los Angeles, he had a lot of, uh, Mexican American friends and he was really kind of, um, exposed to that culture at a young age and of course as a teenager would uh, often sneak across the border to mexico and uh, partake um, in you know drinking tequila and mezcal and uh, having having some fun so he really um, enjoyed mexican food mexican culture mexican drinks of course Um, and at some point he took a trip to um, holland for the first time i think it was 19, he went to Europe in 1963 for the first time, and then he went back and visited Holland in 1970, and really fell in love with with Holland and Amsterdam, and it became his kind of dream to to move there, to uh, to to live and to experience, um, you know, Europe in the in the 70s, and so in order to do that, what made the most sense is to start his own business. And he didn't obviously really have much experience with um, Mexican food, Mexican uh, cuisine or cooking or or even bartending. But he really saw a hole in the market, not just in Holland, but in Europe for uh, tequila bar concept, Mexican restaurant. And so in 1976, he finally saved up enough um, money to make this, this dream a reality and moved to Amsterdam with his, uh, his wife and my older brother. Um, and they set up Cafe Pacifico Amsterdam, which luckily for, for them became quickly within a year or two a very, very big success. And it became like the hangout for celebrities and musical artists and actors and things like that in Holland, in Amsterdam and uh, just became a really cool kind of party party place of course tequila was was a big part of that and from there he went on to uh, move to five different countries mostly in europe and australia and open up uh, i think a total of 18 venues over the last 43 years all of them tequila bars uh, mexican restaurant concepts so um along the way he got recognized by the National Tequila Industry Chamber, the CNIT, as the official tequila ambassador for Europe because they eventually saw everything that he had been doing for the category, not just within his venues, but eventually, he he really had this love for tequila and he wanted people to understand it as a spirit beyond this kind of you know slammer or or um, you know, cheap, uh, down market spirit. He wanted people to experience the beauty of, you know, a really great tequila, which now is more commonplace. But back then, especially in Europe, was really not something most people had come across. So he would um, take trips with his team, with his, you know, uh, managers and, and head chefs, bar managers, head bartenders, take them all out from the different venues to Mexico so that they could experience that firsthand and really kind of get bitten by that tequila bug so to speak themselves and to spread that passion to their teams in the different venues and of course uh, most you know, importantly to their customers as they came in and to really educate people and and impassion people around this spirit. Eventually later, he he wanted to even get a further reach, this this message, and he started writing uh, newspaper articles, magazine articles, he wrote a book eventually. So he really did a lot um, to promote the category as a whole of tequila. And I think the CNIT uh, recognized that and, um, you know, he's very, very proud to have this title of official tequila ambassador for Europe.
0: Fantastic. I mean, what a story and journey. That's incredible. Um, you mentioned he wrote a, a book, a tequila book. Could you let us know what the name is for our audience?
2: Yeah, so the name of the book is The Tequila Ambassador, obviously him being the tequila ambassador to Europe. So obviously the, the title, I suppose it's almost self, self-titled. self Um but this book uh, had two releases, two different publishing runs, and now it's out of print. So I think if you can find a copy, maybe on eBay or on Amazon, it tends to be quite expensive. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, a rare, it's a rare item now. I suppose it's almost collectible. So if you do have a copy, save it. Don't, don't lend it. I get a message almost every week saying, I lent my copy out. Do you have any left? Uh, unfortunately, the answer is no. I don't, I don't have any copy. I have my own copy, one copy, but none, no, no more, no extras.
0: Wow. Well, if I try and find it, I'll try and put it in the show notes for the audience. It's, it's definitely a family love affair, of course, you and uh, your father with tequila. And it's interesting you mentioned about the education and letting people know there's more to tequila than just slamming. Do you still feel there needs to be a big agave education in the industry? Are we kind of making the right steps there?
2: I think we're making great steps. I mean, you know, there's different parts of the world that are that are kind of at a different stage of of understanding in terms of agave spirits. But certainly in Europe, um, where I spent most of my time, the UK being a great example, I think the UK is really um, at a at a stage where there is still education that that. Should take place. It would. It needs to take place. Um, but generally, I think the understanding has really shifted around tequila, and now around mezcal, of course, which is very trendy here. Um, so I think we've, especially within the industry, I feel like people tend to know quite uh, a good amount about agave spirits, um, and I think the the next step is really taking that knowledge and that probably passion more than knowledge to the final consumer and for those people that are still you know on the fence that have that kind of negative perception around tequila that that stigma around the category probably those people most of the time had a bad experience when they were in school as or, or university um, which is a very common story i come across and i think the best way to kind of quote unquote rehabilitate those people is by really introducing them to a great tequila and by getting to know them and and their tastes first. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend uh, a Blanco tequila to someone who A, doesn't like tequila and B, uh, tend to drink more aged spirits. I may start them off with an Añejo instead, and that may be an easier entry point for them than a Blanco, just as an example. So I think there's, it's really um, it's really a skill of finding the right way for each individual of how to introduce them in the best way to this to this wonderful spirit. The great thing about tequila is its diversity. So the way we produce ochos, is the way that we think for our tastes, is the best way of producing tequila. But thank God that not everyone thinks the same way. Otherwise, we just have, you know, this kind of very hom- hom- homogenous um, category. But what we have in actuality is this beautiful diversity, very wide diversity across the category. So I think there is something for everyone within the tequila category.
0: That's great. And what would you say is uh, sort of the future of tequila? Where are we going to next in maybe the next five to 10 years?
2: In terms of the future of I'll, I'll broaden that slightly. Sure. I think. In terms of the future of agave spirits, I think, you know, mezcal is going to continue to grow. I think we're going to start hearing more and more about these so so far lesser known agave distillates. Ricea, I think, is a really exciting category at the moment. Um, Bacanora as well. Soto, which, as I mentioned before, is not technically an agave spirit, but I think... What the guys like Ricardo Pico and the guys at Clan de Soto are doing is really um, unique. And I think we're going to see a lot more in that space. Um, one of the trends we're seeing kind of across a lot of different spirits categories, but especially in tequila, is this uh, celebrity trend. So I think that will probably continue, at least in the kind of short to medium term. Um, you know, of course, famously, George Clooney sold uh, Casamigos for I think altogether close to about a billion US dollars which is a pretty crazy valuation by any standards. So I think a lot of people have seen that and and kind of want to get in the game so to speak. So I think we'll see more of that. I think we're also going to see, we're seeing a kind of divergence in the category in my opinion. And on one side, we have a huge, especially in the last 20 years or so, there's a huge move towards industrialization um, and consolidation within the the tequila industry as a whole. A lot of the big uh, players in in Spirits have have been buying uh, previously family-owned brands. And that's something that is still uh, happening on a regular basis. And on the other end, we have these real... um, I don't like the word craft, but but these real kind of small um, producers, family-owned producers that still produce tequila in very similar ways to um, you know how their fathers and grandfathers would have produced tequila. So I think we see an interesting um, resurgence of those family-owned brands, like um, the products produced at La Alteña, Tapatio, uh, Ocho El Tesoro. And brands like Fortaleza, which was um, revived, let's say, let's say, um, yeah, the distillery was revived by Guillermo Erickson Sousa, of course, of of the Sousa family fame, uh, reopening his grandfather's distillery and producing a very, very nice uh, tequila, which, of course, is called Fortaleza.
0: Brilliant. Now, I know you're mostly in london is there any top bars in a city you would recommend to find some amazing tequilas
2: oh wow good question um obviously i've got to i've got to plug our own our own venue which is called cafe (laughs) pacifico yeah
1: um
2: they'll never forgive me if i if i don't uh, mention them yeah cafe pacifico has been here in london since 1982 so to my knowledge it's the oldest uh, mexican bar mexican uh, restaurant tequila bar in the uk Um, it's in the heart of Covent Garden I don't know how many bottles they have on the back bar currently but it's probably a couple hundred um, and very well curated selection of tequilas, mezcals and other agave spirits so Cafe Pacifico is a great uh, choice Uh, across the UK there's some really cool options Um, I was just talking to the guys recently from uh, 400 Rabbits in Nottingham again Mm -hmm. super super cool uh, agave spirits bar places like uh, neon Cact- excuse me neon cactus and Leeds there's a lot of cool uh, cool options here in the UK
0: that's great it'll be interesting to talk about maybe the etiquette of drinking tequila uh, I don't know if you know but we have a small community through patreon where people can join find out who's coming on the show and ask some questions so from one of our patrons uh, Nini Carneval she wanted to ask about how you personally drink your tequila
2: Oh great question thank you. How do I personally drink my tequila? I drink it neat and I, try, I, I tend to drink Blanco just because that's my kind of preference in general. Uh, Blanco to me is really the purest expression of agave itself, of the plant itself. Whereas, of course, with as we get into the aged expressions, Reposado and Añejo and Extra Añejo, um, the higher the aging, of course, the more we're going to get those wood notes. And potentially, you know, those wood notes will cover up the agave notes. Um, So I tend to drink Blanco. I tend to drink it neat. Um, To be honest, I'll I'll just use whatever glass I have at hand, although I really strongly recommend uh, to others that they use tasting glasses. Um, If I am writing tasting notes or something, of course, I will use a tasting glass. Um, But if I'm drinking for pleasure, I just use kind of whatever's around, if I'm honest.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, what about cocktails? So obviously we all know the Margarita, the Paloma, and um, you know. Can you give us some other great examples of tequila cocktails?
2: Yeah, and again, another great question. And I'll, I'll put in another shameless uh, plug. <laughs> uh, do. I did write a, a book uh, a few years ago, which is less aimed uh, at, at bartenders and trade, and much more aimed at uh, the final consumers. But it's called Tequila Beyond Sunrise, and. That has, I think, 40 or 42 or 45 recipes that are all tequila and mezcal based and pretty accessible drinks that can be made at home. Obviously, the margarita is kind of by by far the most famous out of the tequila category. But I have a saying, which will be probably controversial with with some of your listeners, that anything that tequila, sorry, anything that uh, gin, whiskey, rum, vodka can do, that tequila can do as well or better in cocktails. So I find it great to twist classics. You know, take a Clover Club and replace the gin with tequila, or a French 75 with tequila instead of gin is absolutely delicious. So there's a lot of fun that can be had with uh, tequila as a mixer, as a base in um, in cocktails, and I think that's again going back to this versatility of the spirit that just lends itself also very well to mixing
0: that's great and uh, your book as well will be in the show notes for people to purchase it's so good to hear about tequila and hearing that there is progress being made in the industry you um obviously you'll have quite a big role being a spokesperson for Ocho and where is your main focus at the moment where are you traveling
2: to mostly these days i'm mostly in europe so obviously based in the uk and you know we have really we've had really great success with Ocho in uh the Nordics, in Holland, uh Spain, Italy, Greece. Um so I find myself traveling regularly to those countries and Asia as well. Um I was actually just in Bangkok a couple of months ago. Oh, really? um so next time I would love to uh to 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 meet up. That'd be great for uh for a tequila call.
0: I would love that. That'd be great. (laughs) Okay. Well, Jesse, that's all from me. Um, You've been fantastic to have on the show. We're going to have this all typed up for everyone to read and also listen to. And um, yeah, once again, thanks, man.
2: Great. Thanks very much to you, Chris. Great. Okay. We'll
0: talk to you soon. Thanks, Jesse. Awesomeness from Jesse Estes. You can find the books he mentioned in the show notes and we'll have a full transcript coming up soon. Next episode, we have another tequila guru. His name is Dino Moncrief, and he is the global brand ambassador of Don Julio. Uh, We're here to talk to him about his new temple of agave in London, Hatcher. So that's all from me, guys. Please subscribe, uh, share, head over to Tales of the Cocktail, give your nomination, and we'll see you all next week. Ciao.